Tony didn't see it that way. Kevin Herter for three. And that's good. What a shot. What a shot. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Sunday Talk. This will be out on 4th of July. So happy 4th of July to everyone. Hope they're having a great day. Um, Stay safe. Fireworks Don't off. Drink and drive. Stay safe. Don't drink and drive. Be responsible. We'd love to have you guys listen to the show. So, um, Without further ado, I uh, just want to say some things. First of all, awesome support of our latest video about the MLB All-Stars, uh, crushing our career high in views. Uh, we love the support we've been getting. We've been grinding. We're over. We're north of 50 videos right now on the channel. We've been pumping out a lot of content on Instagram, so make sure to go down below, uh, use our links, follow us on Instagram, follow us on everything. But without further ado, we're about to hop into some Sunday talk conversation. Obviously, last night, the Milwaukee Bucks beat the uh, Atlanta Hawks to advance from the Eastern Conference semi, Eastern Conference Finals to the NBA Finals. So we have our NBA Finals matchup. We'll be doing a preview episode shortly. Um, but without further ado, we got a lot of questions you guys ask. So we're going to start off, obviously, first and foremost, we got our boy Chase. He's always asking us questions. Shout out, Chase. But um, Yeah, real one, real one. Obviously, we got Olympic basketball coming around. We know yesterday Canada failed uh, to beat uh, Czech Republic in basketball, which is crazy to think about. Uh, Wizards guard Thomas Sadoransky hits a game-winning shot in overtime over Lou Dort. But uh, overall about the Olympics, Chase asked, with the Olympics and already short offseason, is there going to be more injuries uh, next year? Even though we had a very short offseason this last season, uh, Carson, I'll start it off with you. What do you think about the injury situation in terms of the Olympics? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, for the Olympics, it's very specific because, I mean, there's only, what, like 12 guys on the Olympic squad? So, I mean, may, maybe for those guys, you know, those guys might be more susceptible to, to getting an injury for sure. Um, but I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, we already had a short offseason last season. You know, injuries are just really inevitable. I think uh, it's just it was much more glaring, more obvious, just because a lot of them were happening in the playoffs. Um, but I, I don't really see – I probably just see about the same, honestly. You know, and hopefully, you know, by the time we get to the playoffs, everyone will be much more healthier – uh, but it, it just uh, and there was a lot of like freak there was a lot of freak injuries that happened in the playoffs as well like I don't really attribute like Kyrie or Giannis's or even like Trey Young's injuries to like just you know a super long season and short rest like all three of those are just like freak accidents like stepping on someone's foot or like a hyper extension like that could literally like happen like any point during the game or season um so I think you kind of have to take away stuff like that. But I think for a lot of the rest of the stars, you know, it'll, it'll be a factor for sure. Not really the Olympics, but definitely the short offseason. And we just hope and pray that it's just going to be nagging injuries rather than massive, you know, like ACL tears or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Jose? Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping everybody comes back into next season healthy. Uh, obviously, we hate to see injuries. Um, absolutely, like, ruined a lot of the the playoff, like, for the viewers just because so many of the star players were out and like, who knows if, you know, things would have gone a lot differently if certain players had never gotten injured. Um, they talk a lot about like asterisks on, on certain series because of injuries and stuff. But I mean, they've got like a technically a full off season now. Obviously we know a lot of guys put a lot of money and work into their bodies like LeBron James to take care of themselves. So I think, you know, I think we should get back to like a normal rate of injuries by next, yeah. hopefully, because injuries are inevitable. But I, I think, um, you know, this season obviously the the rate was a lot heightened because of yeah. And you can't discredit like the bubble and just like all the stress of like you know all these athletes are going under like you know going into the bubble and you know with everything socially. I mean that also leads into injuries as well. 
Um, but I think the main thing, we just got to, like, you know, just shorten the amount of games. Like, we should really just stay with the 72-game season. And, you know, and especially, okay, one other thing, these playoffs, we can't be having these playoff games, like, every other day. Like, what, like, we got to give these guys, like, you know, you know, throw in a two-day rest or maybe even, like, a three-day rest sometimes. Like, it doesn't have, like, Adam Silver's just been pumping these playoff games out, and it's definitely been a, a bad look for sure, especially this this playoffs. It's all for the betters. That's what they want. He wants the people to be betting on the games because that's where they're making all the money. I mean, they should probably, like you said, have a two-game break after game four. They play those games for game four, then they take a break for them to fly back out to the next city because there's a yeah. lot of travel between five, six, and seven. Yeah, man, just, I don't know, more breaks, man. Yeah, so we'll move on to the next question. Obviously, uh, we're going back again with Chase, and Chase has brought this question up before to us on the show, uh, talking about, you know, the flopping, you know, the Trey Young going in for shots instead of obviously shout out Trey Young. But um, do, the, he says, do you guys think the NBA rewriting the rules on unnatural shots uh, leading to fouls is a good thing? Uh, I'm going to start off. I think yes. Um, you know, it isn't a style of game that's been there before. And now, you know, players are got to get real four-point plays, not ones where they lunge into someone where they're actually getting tipped on their hand as they go up for the shot uh, and so on and so forth. So I think it's going to change a lot of people's techniques, but there's no way they can adapt. I mean, Trey Young's not become some bum all of a sudden, even though he was a bum last night, in my opinion. Uh, didn't play a great game. Shout out Cam Reddish, though. We'll talk about it later in the episode. But, um, yeah, Jose, I'll start off with you. What's your opinion on the rule change? Um, I, th- I think it's overall good for the league. Obviously, people hate to watch, you know, that type of play style, the James Harden, Dwayne Wade, Trey Young, like, uh, foul drawing. But at the same time, like, that is kind of a skill, like, to draw fouls yeah. and to get to the line. Like, you've got to be skilled, at least in that regard. And you've still got to hit the free throws. So, like, it's not like they're just out here getting free buckets. Um, but, yeah, obviously, guys will adapt. Guys will always adapt. Um and I think Trey is still going to draw an insane amount of fouls just by the way he contorts his body around the paint, um, or around the basket, and you know how how he drives and how teams defend him. Indeed. Yeah, def- yeah, definitely. To, you know, to backpack on Jose's uh, point. I mean, these guys are going to get fouls regardless. Like you know, every time you drive the basket, you basically have a 50-50 chance of getting a foul called on you, anyways. So I think you know there's going to be you know opportunities for you to get to the line a ton. It doesn't have to be for you actively you know, seeking, you know, whether it's the rip through or like, you know, waiting for the defender to hit you um, uh, in the back, you know, like Trey Young, that's like a specialty, you know, Um, but like the fouls are going to come regardless, just, uh, and it's just on the refs, you know, like if, you know, you stop calling those, like the, like you said, the players are going to adapt. Like these guys are way too talented, way too smart to not adapt to the game. They're still going to get buckets either way. I think, you know, it is a skill within its own right, but I think, you know, for a lot of fans, it's just something we don't really want to see because it, it really is just unnatural. It's a, that's a great way to put it. You know, when you when you go to the park, you know, you, you're not playing like that. You know, you're you're just trying to get buckets. You know, without you know actively seeking just going to the line. You know, it's definitely just a NBA thing, NBA thing only. So, exactly, I I definitely see that. So we'll just keep going through. We got a lot of questions to get through, but uh, Chase again with the last question: What is one thing baseball should do to get more people to watch? Obviously. Uh, we have a lot of people getting really into baseball right now with a lot of hot figures Jose and I talked about in our last episode. Obviously, Fernando Tatis is really flashy. Shohei Otani just has this gravity around him that everyone wants to watch. But uh, what do you guys think 
is a, another thing that, you know, Rob Manfred can do to change the league a little or do something that's going to make people want to watch baseball more. But Carson, I'll start with you. Um, I mean, they've, they've already been working with the time a little bit. I think, you know, you, you, you can't really force, like, like, I think pitching, like, there's some pitchers that take, like, you know, maybe like 10 to 20 seconds, and there's other pitchers that, uh, you know, take, like, 50 seconds to 60 seconds. I think that's something they can do. You know, maybe, like, you know, how free throws are. Like, you get 10 seconds for a free throw. Maybe you set a certain time uh, for, you know, in between pitches. And I think that would just help a lot with the flow of the game. Um, but I don't know. It's just tough because, you know, yeah, like, everyone loves to see the long ball. But with, you know, the long ball comes a lot of strikeouts. I mean, the strikeout rate is incredible. So, I don't know. I think just, you know, maybe just the time, that'd probably be a big thing. Um, Cause you know, some game, it, it really is pretty hard to get through some games. Um, so I think just maybe improving the flow uh, would help. I know a lot of old school baseball fans would probably hate hearing that, but uh, I would start with that. Just, you know, a, a faster, a little bit faster pace, you know, between pitches probably that'd be my main thing. Jose. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, pace of play is a big thing. I mean, games are taking like three, four hours now, like longer than they've ever taken before. Um, and also, like, give out free tickets. Give Just literally give out free tickets. People will come to the stadium. I mean, how much are you really going to lose money given like a couple, like a couple hundred free tickets every week? You know, get kids to the stadiums, get them to watch the biggest stars in the game. You know, just... Just do it. It'll bring more fans to the game, more young fans to the game. Um, and another thing that's worked in the past is juice the balls. Just literally juice the balls. <laughs> Believe yeah, it. I'm down like, with that. I want to see home runs. And I feel like uh, home runs have kind of died down a little bit. Another thing that's died down as a result of home runs, like taking a such a huge leap, is stolen bases. Like we don't see guys yeah. snagging bases anymore i mean acuna last year was chasing a 40 40 season he was like the biggest uh guy to, like that was exciting to watch on the base pads but yeah we don't yeah. we really don't see guys who say reyes or juan pierre like that anymore well especially with uh you know with the extra inning rule with a, a runner starting on second base because that was like, that's a key part of like extra innings like you know you get a lead runner on then it's like you know oh that tension of like you know you get a speedster on it's like oh is he gonna steal he's not gonna steal like a date like a dave roberts type moment though for alcs like moments like that it's just really hard for that to happen in you know crucial parts of the game in extra innings because like there's a runner on second already um i think another thing is just marketing these players and marketing highlights I mean, I was on, I was just YouTube surfing last night and I saw, you know, this big, you know, this big thumbnail, like Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s, you know, his, his most recent home run. And the video was like two minutes and 20 seconds. It was his whole at bat. And it's like, I didn't come to see his whole at bat. I came for just his home run. I came for just his monster home run. Um, you know, I don't need to see the whole at bat. I just need like a little, you know, 10, 20 second clip. You know, I don't need the whole at bat. I think, you know, they really just need to adopt the NBA style of, you know, just giving you just little tiny clips, you know, giving you a nice play. I mean, there are obviously accounts like that, but I think that should just be a real emphasis and just being able to market players. I mean, you have like guys like Tatis Acuna, Vlad Guerrero, like we need to see like more of them, like whether it's on the field before the game or off the field, just like, like we, you know, like NBA stars, a lot of these NBA stars, you know, we, they have vlogs, they have podcasts, like we, we feel like we know them you know, more than just their play on the court. And I think that is definitely a big emphasis. Like, I love when players are mic'd up during games. I think that's, you know, like they do that in spring training. Probably be kind of hard to do that in a regular season game just because, you know, like 
you know, concentration and everything, but just little stuff like that, you know, just we need to, you know, see the players a little bit more. Yeah, I think um, going back in, back in the point, you talk about giving out free tickets. It's the sporting league that has the most games in a regular season, 162. You're not going to lose too much money because who the hell is going to a Tuesday game in the middle of, I don't know, like, Mar- like what, April or whatever? Like, who's yeah, going to that? Yeah, yeah, April, May. Like, it's a random time of the year. Like, give out free tickets or be like, oh, like, we got a promo. You pay 10 bucks, we'll give you – like, I don't know, unlimited hot dogs and uh, a ticket to go with your game. Like, do some promotional stuff because, like, young college kids, like, looking for something to do or just, like, any, like, high school kids, like, they would go to it. They can go, you know, see Tatis or something on a cheap price night. I mean, honestly, like, I'm looking to go to, like, a Padres game before I head back to Miami. And, like, looking for tickets, like, they're decent. They're getting more decently priced, like, even though, like, the teams are yeah. good. Like, $60 to sit on the first baseline, I think, is a steal. Uh, to go see an MLB game at. And I mean, honestly, yep. like there's the bigger like stadiums that just are going to cost a lot more because that's how it is. Like want to see the Dodgers is going to cost a lot because they're a name brand team. Uh, obviously yeah. one of the most iconic stadiums, but like, like ease it up a little bit. Like, and people are going to fill the stadium because you want to have for your players to fill the stadium because they want to have the home team cheering them on, especially even if it's a random Wednesday night game might not even be prime time. It's like, I don't know, Dodgers versus the Orioles or something. Like, people will show out to it if they can, you know, get a good price for it. And I, I totally understand that. Yeah, I think another thing is just shorting the games as well. I mean, you talked about, like, just, you know, a random game in the middle of the season. There's a ton and a ton of random games. I mean, I know, like, there's been a lot of excitement because we're kind of leading into the All-Star break. But, you know, baseball just doesn't really get serious until, you know, late August, September. So you just have, you know, a couple months there, just like a lot of these games are not meaningless, but it's just like, oh, you know, you're so far from where, you know, stuff actually is going down. You know, why not make it like 144 games or, you know, 120 or something? Just, you know, 162 is a ton of games. Or just make like a bunch of seven-inning games. Like make it like maybe do a less amount of games. I know people will get pissed about that because like, Oh, that wouldn't be considered a no hitter if it's a seven inning game. People get pissed about that, but like, and let's say stats, like the stats would be so it'd be so hard to like. But like, do something like like Tuesday, like Tuesday, Thursday, or like Tuesday, Wednesday games are only like eight innings or something like that. Even if it's something small like that, I feel like that would make sense. Or like, because I feel like reducing the games, people would get pissed about that as well. Because you can still go in yeah. extra innings with eight. So. Want to see them expand the All Star like weekend type thing? Like the NBA's got the three point and the skills challenge and dunk contest. The MLB like they're really just known for the home run derby. Why don't we get like some pop time challenges or like some throwing from center field to home or like you know stolen bases, um, you know different stuff like that. Like more fun stuff so we can highlight more of the players, not just a couple power hitters on each team. Because, I mean, the biggest star in the game, or not necessarily the biggest star, but the biggest, like, talent in the game, Mike Trout, I feel like is not known as much as as much as much he should be for how good he is. A five-tool guy. Yeah. And he's- yeah, like, honestly, like, LeBron is, like, or Mike Trout is kind of, like, the equivalent of, like, the LeBron and the MLB almost. He's just been super dominant, super consistent in the last, like, you know, eight to ten years. And he's – not even like a top 10, probably like top 20 most popular athlete in the world. Like not even close.
agree with that. Yeah, hundred percent. But I mean, yeah, like, why can't you do like, oh, like they got to hit targets, like, like you know, like they had the throwing competition, the Pro Bowl. Obviously, I mean, the Pro Bowl's by far the jokest of the All Stars. I think, I mean, the MLB, I'd play it's probably second to bit to NBA because NBA, you know, we got the dunk contest, the skills competition, the all-star game, which has gotten a lot more, you know, increasingly the odds have gotten more like intense when they have, you know, oh, they got to score a certain score in the fourth quarter. But yeah, why not have, okay, like you get the, the best fielders, you get Kevin Kiermaier, uh, you get Nolan Arenado, you get Mike Trout, you get those guys and you have them out to hit targets from a certain range. I think that'd be an awesome thing. Yeah, or like, or like horse with like infielders. Like you know, you hit a you know a backhanded ball where they gotta like do like a jeter throw, and then the next person has to do that same thing or something like that. There's just yeah, there's endless possibilities. I would love to see like a yeah like a target or like I, the first thing I thought of was like just everyone tries to throw like as hard as they can, but no one's gonna do that because no one's gonna risk like blowing out their arm. Um, it'll be fun to see like how many people can like get to like a hundred or hundred and one or something. I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities. That could be cool. But no, uh, we'll move on. Uh, some going switching the gears. We're hopping back over to basketball, talking about the off season. Some teams that got a lot of stuff to do. Obviously, people on Instagram. We've been talking about NBA teams and their off seasons. We got the Hawks coming soon. But of course, uh, we got the Timberwolves. Uh, did not get their first round pick. Uh, fell to the Warriors at number seven. But uh, Andrew Galvez is asking us. What do the Timberwolves have to do in order to become a contender? Obviously, they got a lot of young talent. We can name them off. They got Malik Beasley. They got D'Angelo Russell. They got Carl Anthony Towns. And, of course, they got uh, Anthony Edwards uh, and some other names in there, like Josh Kogi, Jared Culver, but some guys that I think that just got to get traded for better pieces. McDaniels. So, Don't sleep on McDaniels, too. Of course, McDaniels. Both the McDaniels brothers playing well on their teams. But um, I'll yeah. start it off with you, Jose. Uh, what do you think the Timberwolves need to do in order to improve? I mean, it, it takes a lot to really become an elite team in the NBA. I mean, you need you need a great coaching staff, first of all. You need a guy that the, the locker room believes in. Um, you need a great medical staff because you have to keep your guys healthy. You can't have Cat, you know, playing half the season. You can't have D'Angelo Russell playing 30 games. You need your star guys out there. Um, and you need them all locked in. I mean, you need them to really, like – come together like, uh, to be that everyone yeah. um you know because he's been in the league for a while uh, and he's done it at the high lead this team but yeah i mean just tra- move a couple pieces around you've got a lot of a a lot of pawns you can play with um definitely like a talented roster just gotta gotta put it together gotta figure it out mentally Mm-hmm. Carson? Um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like kind of like a cop-out answer, like a super easy answer, but just defense. Because, I mean, like, this team can get buckets. Like, this team can get busy. Like, D'Lo, I mean, you know, he can get to 20 points a game a night. Edwards, I mean, who knows how high his ceiling is. Beasley, I think, was close to 20 points per game. And obviously, yep. Cat is, like, you know, a super elite three-point shooter, super elite offensive player. But all of those guys, like, just struggle mildly on defense. So I think, you know, just get a lot of just like hard nose, like gritty veterans or, you know, solid young players have a lot of defensive potential that, you know, you can help, you know, fill in the gaps with those guys. Um, I think that's the main concern because this team is just so awful on defense um, to just kind of help them, you know, give an identity. Cause I think 
you know, you could either, you know, help them out defensively or just go all in and just be like a run and gun. Like, you know, we're going to, you know, our defense is just trying to outscore you, but they just, they just need like an identity really just because they've just kind of been like wallowing away. They're like, okay, like we have talent. So we think it's supposed to be like this generational center, but we're not really sure. Um, and they just been kind of stuck in you know, mediocrity to terrible just because they just haven't had an identity and you have to, that's like the hardest thing, but you got to identify that first and just defense. Just go yeah. out and get some Jay Crowders, you know, get some guys like, you know, Bridges or something like that, just defense. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I think what could make sense for them, you know, trading some guys like Jared Culver, I think is just, you know, he's a failure of a player drafted in the lottery top 10, I believe, and just never really panned out. Yeah. There's that whole thing. He never played in the summer league because he was learning the playbook and then really he's turned into nothing. You know, maybe yeah. trade Malik Beasley. Obviously, he's had some off-the-court issues. I uh, don't know if you want to associate that with your team culture. Uh, and go after, you know, some young guys maybe that there some teams really just kind of have given up on. You know, I don't know, like, who that is on some teams. You know, might be a guy, you know, I don't know, like Sekou Dumboya on the Detroit Pistons. Seems like they're moving there a certain way with Sadiq Bey and Jeremy Grant. Um, I, I Nothing I can really name off the top of my head, but there's definitely some young guys in the league that some teams really aren't feeling at this point that you could get for a good price value. And like you said, some, you know, some gritty veterans that can play for them, you know, getting like a George Hill kind of guy uh, who the 76ers might like might the move, move out on this offseason. I think there's a lot of players that they need to get, but they have to build a culture there. And they need to have like a good solid veteran that can go in there. You know, they need – like the Suns got their CP3. I think that's going to be the thing that everyone talks about. No matter, I mean, I think the Suns are going to win the chip at this point. But, you know, let's say the Suns win. Everyone's going to know. Everyone's be looking for their CP3. Like everyone's be looking for their Stephen Clay. It's going to be the new thing. They're looking for that guy that can be their Aussie. I think CP3 is a once in a generation type guy, the way his leadership works and everything like that. But they're going to find their own, you know, assortment of veterans that they can do that with. So, um, a lot of questions to answer this offseason. Uh, obviously, without a draft yeah. pick, do they want to trade up into the draft? Do they see a guy that they have potential with? Because they got to take risks on these guys. You know, they didn't hit with Jarrett Culver. Uh, do they got to go draft up and get another guy? You know, maybe they really look to solidify that shooting guard position. Uh, they play Anthony Edwards at the three, D'Lo at the one. You know, do you go and get a guy like James Booknight? Do you get a guy like Davion Mitchell, who's a really solid defensive point guard who has potential to be a two-way? Do you trade up in the draft for that? Because I think, you know, you might have to give up some capital to go and get a guy that, you know, he's already de- pretty much developed uh, as a prospect, can still develop more, but he's going to come out of the gate and produce early for you guys. Uh, it's going to be hard for them because they're going to be competing with a lot of up-and-coming teams in the West. And they can't fall behind now before they lose, uh, you know, the ability to have uh, a D'Lo and a Cat be part of this main core. Yeah, you made a great point with Mitchell. Like, you know, when, you know, talk about who they're going to draft, they need to draft someone that, like, has a, a really high floor. Like, someone that, like, you know, doesn't have a lot of bust potential. Someone that, you know, can really just help you right away. Because you know, if you really think you have your kind of core in place and you want to, you know, start building a foundation and start winning games – it's going to come with guys, not projects, but guys that are, you know, ready to contribute like right now. Like, yeah, Mitchell would be fantastic. And if you had Mitchell, you could like maybe look to like trade D'Lo, but they probably Exactly. It all, it all starts yeah. with going there and getting the pick in the first place, which is something they need to do this offseason, in my opinion. But um, we'll move on. Obviously, a topic that is near and dear to uh, Carson's ice heart. 
we haven't seen Clay Thompson play in the NBA in what seems like forever. He's missed. He will, there will run three NBA champions crowns since the last time Clay Thompson touched a basketball court. And it's a lot of people think people talking about, they think, Oh, the Warriors are going to be this awesome team next year. You know, they're going to trade Andrew Wiggins and uh, James Wiseman and go up there and get like Pascal Siakam or something like that. And they're still going to have Clay Thompson, who's one of the best scorers in the league and all this stuff. But is Clay Thompson really going to be the person he once was, you know, the guy that could give you 60 unconsciously. So Jose, I'll ask you coming from an outside perspective, how do you think Clay Thompson's going to play next season, assuming that he is healthy, barring any injury this offseason? Uh, one thing that like never becomes obsolete in the NBA is shooting. Um, because obviously he didn't injure his hand, he didn't injure his shoulder, anything like that. All my man has to do is stand in the corner and catch and shoot. I mean, obviously we're not going to see him running around, you know, uh, you know, running around screens and shit like that because he tore his Achilles. I mean, twice, right? Yep. Um, So we probably will not see him be the all NBA defender that he once was, but I think the Warriors like team defense will still be able to make him effective. Um, And It's like Curry will find him open looks the same way he found looks for guys like Jordan Poole, uh, you know, and other guys around the perimeter. Um, what's his stepbrother's name or cousin? Damien Lee. And Lee. Yeah, he, he's going to get he's going to get Clay's open looks. I don't think he's going to ever be, you know, that all NBA type guy, but I could definitely still see him, you know, shooting at an elite clip, averaging near 20 points. Carson? Uh, yeah, I mean, he hit the nail on the head. Like, defensively, I think should definitely expect, like, a, a decline a little bit because, I mean, two massive, massive surgeries, it's, you know, it's really hard to, you know, come back, you know, same athlete like that. But I think, you know, with modern, you know, sports medicine and, and you know, recovery protocols, like, I definitely expect him to be, you know, and, and Clay, I mean, even if you're only getting, like, 80 to 90% of what Clay was, it's still, like, you know, a borderline all-star. It's still a really, really solid player. Um, that is, you know, going to be, you know, right there to help the Warriors, you know, compete for another championship. So I definitely don't expect the, you know, elite, elite defense to come back. I still expect them to be a, you know, really solid defender at, you know, probably at best um, just because the nature of his injuries. But yeah, like Jose said, the shooting is going to be there. Um, you know, just he's going to be getting those looks because you still have Curry on the floor. Draymond's going to be out there making plays. Um, and I just expect, you know, him to come back at, at, at worst, like 80% of what he was, which is still a really, really solid player. And that's just what they need him at. They only need him at that. I think if they can, you know, go out there, get another star alongside them, keep Clay to a minimum at least next season or at least beginning into yeah. the season. Like, if he can average, like, 18, like, all the way until the all-star break and then maybe he begins to pick it up, I think that's perfect. As long as, you know, he's shooting at that 40% from three clip. Um, he's playing, you know, solid defense. I think he'd be playing, like, at a level just above Steph, uh, because I think it's going to take him a while for able to get that lateral quickness back and everything like that that comes with an Achilles injury. But um, can we talk about Siakam real quick? Because I actually like, I would be really hyped if that happened. I mean, because Siakam is like someone that you know kind of got a lot of slander the last couple of years because of his you know playoff struggles, and you know everyone thought he was supposed to be like you know this franchise guy, but he's not really. He's really like a third or fourth 
best guy, which is exactly what he would be on the Warriors. And I think it'd be a really great fit. I mean, what, it'd be probably Wiseman and, and number seven, or maybe like Wiseman and number 14. Yeah. And yeah. Wiggins with the contract. And Wiggins. Yeah, I would do that. Because, I mean, Siakam is just, a you know, a better version of Wiggins. Um, and, you know, championship pedigree already. I think he'd fit right into the system. Um, you know, him and Draymond, I think, would play really well together. You know, get a lot more open looks. You wouldn't have to be forcing those spin moves into the paint like he does in Toronto. And I think for on Toronto's side, you know, I think Toronto should really just buy into a, you know, a, more of like a soft rebuild, kind of like what OKC, like kind of like OKC, because they're going to have a lot of like really solid young talent that can win some games. But obviously, you know, there's still would still be a couple years away from maybe being back to championship because you'd have that fourth pick. You have another, you know, another one or two picks getting from the Warriors, so you'd have. You know, Gary Trent Jr., Wiseman, you know, probably like Suggs, trade Lowry for some more assets. You already have OG. Like that's a really solid young core right there. Like that's a really, really good young core moving forward. And they have one of the best talent development teams in the NBA. They've made a lot exactly. out of these guys. You know, they um, will figure out how to get the best out of Wiseman. You know, they made because I want the Warriors to be able to do that, but the Raptors will do it too. Yeah, like they made Terrence Davis into this guy. Obviously, they turned Pascal Siakam into a guy that uh, averaged 4.2 points in his rookie season to a guy that was an all NBA player, an all star starter in his third season NBA. You know, they made Matt Thomas into a good three point, an elite three point shooter. They've done a lot of things that have made them, you know, show that they're good at developing talent. And, you know, just going on that Siakam thing, I think he works perfect. I mean, looking at his best season in 2019-2020, he shot 36 from three, uh, shot seven, uh, got 7.3 boards, almost four assists a game uh, in 23 points. You know, probably wouldn't see a production like that, probably a lot less, you know, maybe getting more rebounds out there. But um, he's definitely a guy that could be a really good piece paying as like a, a 2B, uh, 3 option on the Warriors. Yeah, I'm here for that 100%. Yeah. So uh, this is a question that I thought to myself uh, watching the end of the Hawks game last night. Uh, it was I asked myself, who would you guys rather have? I'm going to kick Bogdan Bogdanovich out of this because, you know, he's going to get he's going to be on the other side of 30 in a couple years. But uh, who would you rather have starting at the two for the Hawks going forward? Would you rather have Kevin Herter or would you rather have Cam Reddish? Cam Reddish, fantastic game last night, by the way. But uh, I'm going to start with you, Jose. Who would you rather have running the two for the Hawks as Trey Young's running mate? Um, this is a great question. I don't know how tall is, is Kevin Herter, real quick. Six like five, seven. I want to say, or six four. Six. Yeah, and then Cam's like six eight, six nine. Nah, well, I I got hold up, I got them both right here. Uh, Cam is six eight, and Kevin six seven. Yeah, I don't see why. Uh, they can't run both of them. Run Herter at the two. Reddish but at the you got DeAndre Hunter, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see them moving on from Hunter at some point, though, considering how well they did. You know, what? This, considering how well they did this playoff series without him, if they bring back Collins, um, they got to pay Capella. I can see him, like, trading trading Hunter for something. But, wow. Dang, that's a hot take because I really like Hunter. I really, really like Hunter. And for like at the start of the season, like he was kind of looking like their like second or third best player. But I, I do get the argument just because like they played really well without him, anyways. Yeah. 
but like okay i would think like collins would be the one that they would you know give up and i would like to run with you know cam herder and and uh hunter going forward but collins has played really really well this playoffs i just don't think hunter's got <laughs> like collins does um yeah I, at the actual two i would roll with herder um just because i like i like his ability to kind of be a secondary ball handler not necessarily a scorer but also like a an ISO defender as well as a team defender. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, he played some really good defense out there in these playoffs and the couple and the two games I believe he played. Uh he showed a lot of signs. But I mean, going back to the John Collins thing, I mean, I know everyone's like, oh, like John Collins he leaves the Hawks, he'd be a waste of money. Like in 2019-2020, in I mean only 41 games, but still, he averaged 22 points, 10 rebounds on 58, 40. 80 shooting, which I think is an amazing split to see from a power forward. He's a guy that can be a stretch guy. I think he's got to work a little bit more on his defense, uh, but still average a block and a half a game in that 2019-2020 season. I think they got to put some faith into him because I really think he'd be a special player. You know, I think Onyeka Okonkwo is going to be the guy that's got to step into Capella's role in a couple years because Capella's just going to, you know, with age, his athleticism, which makes him a really good defender, is kind of going to wear down. So, you know, I think Capella might – unfortunately go into that you know Hassan Whiteside category when he gets to the other side of 30 but you know you got Trey Young let's say you run Kevin Herter Cam Reddish John Collins and Okonkwo I think that's a team that can actually compete for a title out there in the east like they almost just did this year I mean you know let's say Cam Reddish becomes you know a 20 points per score game let's say Herter becomes a 16 17 point per game score Trey Young being one of the best passers in the league you know, he can get a lot out of those guys out there, especially Oconquil has the ability to space the floor much more than a guy like uh, Capella, and he can play defense as well. That's a really scary team in the East who can shoot from all levels and can be super lethal out there and can catch fire like no one's business. Yeah, definitely. I think I'd roll with Herter too. I think Herter's a much more steady, consistent option. Um, but I think Reddish, like I, I love Reddish's potential, and I think – you know, maybe in another year or two, I think, you know, we could go, we could go back to this question and maybe, you know, kind of be kicking ourselves in the ass. Cause I think Reddish has like ton, a ton of potential. I mean, he's putting it on display, you know, these last couple games. Um, and I'm a, like a full Reddish believer. Um, but yeah, it's just tough. Cause they like, they're in like a, a good, bad spot. Cause it's like, you know, they just have so much talent, but it's like, you can, you can only start five guys. Like, but they just have such a deep squad. And just really excited for their future in the next uh, few years. Um, Hunter, ah, that's tough with Hunter. I don't really want to give him up. I would have given up Collins, but Collins and Trey have showed like their their chemistry is like insane. Like I mean, when you're going like off the backboard alley oops, like there's not there's not many duos that are, are doing that. Like that that takes like a lot of chemistry and a lot of practice together. Like like. So, I don't yeah. know, man. I, def- I definitely would roll with Herter right now more consistently, but I, I love Reddish's potential much more than Herter's. I just yeah. don't see Hunter on the team right now. And I know he wants to be more than just like a, an eighth, ninth man in the rotation. Who? Her, uh, Hunter. I mean, not Herter. Mm-hmm. Hunter. I don't know. It's it's a team that's running into a problem, like, like you said, Carson. It's got a lot of talent and not a lot of spots to play him in. I mean – Bogey's a guy that I think is going to age well because he's a playmaker. Uh, he can shoot extremely well from the floor. I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, they got Bogey locked until 20, uh, 23. 
uh, when he had the option to accept his player option of 18 million, but they got Bogdanovich, they got Hunter, they got Herder, they got Reddish, uh, all playing, you know, the wing positions, you know, two and three. Uh, obviously, Trey Young is your centerpiece of the point guard position. You know, you got to come to a decision. Who are you going to ride the bench? Because those guys aren't going to want to ride the bench for long. I mean, DeAndre Hunter's not going to be a guy that wants to ride the bench. Herder's not going to ride the bench the way he's been playing. Reddish's not going to ride the bench. And, you know, Bogey might. But at the same time, the way he's had success towards the end of this season, he's going to have a lot of confidence that he can be a starting guard on a uh, playoff caliber team. So uh, we're going to see a lot of things going into Atlanta. You know, it might be as soon as this offseason where they decide to move on from one of those guys. Hopefully not. But um, a lot of things they got to look at in order to um, continue to contend out there in the East. Uh, obviously, the well, I mean, those four guys, those four, oh, sorry. I didn't no, mean to go ahead. Those, those four guys, it's like, I, the perfect situation is like two of them would be coming off the bench and they'd be like the best sixth and seventh man like in the NBA. Like that's like the perfect case scenario. But, you know, just going off of like, you know, egos and playing time, like I, I don't necessarily think they'd be riding the bench, but just like it is a tough role to accept, especially for a young. I mean, all four of those guys are super young too. Like it's so I feel like it would definitely be hard for them to accept you know, those roles coming off the bench, but that, that would be ideal for the Hawks. I mean, they, they would be the deepest team in the league if that was the case. Cause all four of those guys are way over qualified to be, you know, coming off the bench. Yeah. I mean, just continuing to look at it. I mean, we got some, like looking at the 2020 to 2023 season, Trey Young's going to have to get an extension by then he's going to get North of 40 million. Uh, Danilo Gallinari will be on his last year of his contract or still making 21 million by the time he'll be a 35 year old. Uh, Bogdanovich will be under the contract. He'll be a 31-year-old. Uh, Capella is going to be 31 as well. Um, it's going to be an interesting situation because, you know, Hunter, Reddish, Herder, they're all going to ask north of $15 million, barring any injuries in their situation. So, you know, obviously it's good to have the talent because when an injury comes around, you got a guy that can replace them. But when it's fully healthy, that's the image you got to have in your mind as a GM. Who are the guys you're most confident in that can make you that championship-caliber team? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's they're they're in a good spot. It's just like they just have an overabundance of talent, kind of like the Nuggets were. It's like the Nuggets just like drafted so well the last few years. It's like you can't pay everyone, and that's how you gotta let guys like Beasley or you know Hernan Gomez go, even though they're those are really solid guys off the bench. Yeah, and just going back to that contract <laughs> thing, John Collins, assuming if he does resign at the uh, Hawks, which I think due to the playoff run, he might get that. Um, he's going to be looking for 20 million or north of that, which will make, you know, cap space for them, not the, you know, easiest thing to juggle. So um, uh, that's been an awesome Sunday talk. Uh, of course, you guys enjoy your 4th of July wh whenever you're watching this. Uh, we appreciate it. Again, been getting a huge success. We're tracking the video as we're recording this right now. 140 views so far on our MLB video. Absolutely insane. Uh, a lot of people coming out to hear everything about Shohei Otani, but um, – we're here for you guys. Obviously, look down on the Instagram. We got a lot of stuff coming out, a lot of content coming out, a lot of top five lists, a lot of stuff that's sparking controversy. And, of course, fantasy football is beginning to come around as we end up here uh, into the end of the month. It's closer and closer, man. I'm so excited. It's going to be crazy. We know we got training camps. We got uh, preseason. It's going to be an interesting season. Um, so, yeah, uh, without further ado, it's Coast Coast Podcast. We're signing out. Peace. Peace.